and you're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. As we get ready to continue this service through uh, our pastor's sermon, uh, just let this be the cry of your heart. And I surrender all, I surrender all, all to you, Jesus, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. I surrender all. I give you my heart, Lord. I surrender all. All I am is yours. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender bless your name this morning, Jesus. We love you. We give you thanks. In your son, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to uh, speak this morning on a subject which I haven't spoken on and generally does not get spoken on a lot, and that's probably not a good thing. So, uh, um, Pray for me as I try to speak, and um, I want to read to you a passage of scripture out of Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. It says this, these are the words of Jesus, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. How many times have you heard a message on hell in the last five years? Uh, you probably could count on one finger. Uh, you just don't, we don't hear a lot about it. Uh, but that's, that's not a good thing. There is not a preponderance of fear of the Lord in our land. Um, there simply just is not. And, when I, and sometimes when we say uh, God really doesn't want us to fear him, he wants us to love him. Well, both are true. He wants us to fear him and to love him. I feared my dad and I loved my dad. And uh, in fact, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And some will say, well, that ought not to be fear as in afraid, but fear as in reverence. Well, uh, I revered my dad, but there was definitely fear in there if I did something that, did, that didn't set well. Uh, I would prefer that maybe he went ahead and went on to work or, you know, forgot about it or whatever. So uh, God is not one to forget. So the topic is uh, very, very serious and it's not readily addressed in today's pulpits. Uh, the word hell is generally a pejorative. It's a curse word. Uh, people use it in slang. That's pretty much the extent of people's understanding of it and use of the word. And I suppose maybe one of the reasons we don't hear a lot about it is because we think maybe people don't want to hear about it. But people need to hear about it. People need to hear about it. Um, I made reference to it uh, last week. I think, and, and uh, Terry reminded me after service, and then the name of the, of the, the, the preacher uh, was this title of, of uh, Sinners in the Hands of, of an Angry God. And we don't like the concept of an angry God. We like the concept of a loving God. Uh, 
that's just so much more easy to hear and, and, and sets so well with me if, uh, to, to have that concept. And, and he is a loving God, but he, it's, it's not just a one-sided kind of a deal. He is, uh, he is one to be feared, and, uh, and one author said he is terrible. He is terrible. Meaning by that, we should take him very, very seriously. As I said a minute ago, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as you probably obviously can see, I'm going to say it again, there is an obvious lack of fear of God in our land and probably actually throughout the world in the most part. It is interesting, even in this age, the overwhelming majority of people still believe in God. In one way or another, they may not, they may not have a concept as you have, but, but, but in the way 90 percentile range, it is, there is a, a belief in God. And likewise, there is a belief in hell. Not only um, in Christianity, in, in Judaism, and in Islam, even in the Eastern religions, there is the, the belief in karma and in the belief of, uh, of, a, of, a, of an afterlife. So there is, this, there is this overwhelming sense that what we are doing right now is not the end of the story. There's more that goes along with it. And that there, there has to be a reckoning for, for the life of people who live on the earth without an awareness of what is right and wrong, without a reverence for God. There is a, uh, a rising uh, tendency, not tend, that's the wrong word, there is a rising uh, voice even in, in, in the Christian community and in the church of, uh, of maybe hell isn't what we thought it was. Maybe, it's, maybe we've misconstrued it all these years. Maybe, maybe, hell, maybe there isn't a hell after all. I mean, there are serious theologians who make that kind of a statement. And, and some that maybe you have read about or have read articles that they have written. I'm not going to call any names, but, but uh, with, our, with our contemporary view of a loving God, forgetting the whole counsel of God, we focus on this one aspect of God. And because of that, we would say something like, there is no way a loving God can send human beings to an eternal hell. I mean, I wouldn't even do that. You may have even heard that kind of language. I mean, I wouldn't do that. I, and if I wouldn't do that, I can't imagine God would do that. Well, I got a newsflash for you. You're not God. And um, we're going to look at uh, some of the things that, that he has said. You see, we live in an age where people want to make God in their image. They want to make God fit in the rubric of their own mind and, what, and of their own morality and what they might do or what they might not do, but Isaiah says, it plainly teaches that his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He doesn't, he doesn't do life the way that we might think he should. He's never asked me my opinion, though, and I'm sure he's never asked you of yours either. So we do not need to be in a place where we are creating God in our own image and in our own likeness, but listen to his word. And so views have arisen in the last, uh, say, 7,500 years, not 7,500 years, but 75 or about 100 years or so, but have come into more prominent play uh, in, in recent times. When I say recent times, I mean in the last 20 years, where there are strong uh, positions of God would not leave a human being in an eternal hell. God just wouldn't do that. What God will do, and these are serious uh, contentions that theologians and philosophers make, is that what God will do is he will do what the scripture says he will do. He will destroy souls in hell. He will annihilate them. That's what he'll do. The scripture says that. You know, and I just read that in your text. 
Do not fear men who can destroy your body, but fear God who can destroy your soul in hell. So they take that word to mean he will actually, you're not going to be tormented forever and ever. He's literally going to destroy sinners. And uh, they will be annihilated. They will be destroyed. They will go out of existence. They will be no more. So that is one prominent position that is, that is rising in our culture and in theological systems. There's another one that perhaps you've heard about, and it's called universalism, that God is so loving, he is so kind, that somehow, and, and we may not understand exactly how he's going to do it, but eventually he's going to save everyone. In fact, I read one writer who said that when, God, uh, when people go to hell, what God will do is he will, they will receive punishment for what they have done in the flesh on the earth, but when that, when that penalty is met up, what God will do is that he will give them another opportunity to repent, notwithstanding the scripture says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So notwithstanding what the scripture says, we just make up stuff that, that we think might square more with the way that you and I might think, or how we would like it to be, notwithstanding what the scripture says. So those kinds of thoughts of, of annihilation and, and universalism fly straight up in the face of what Jesus had to say about hell. And I know that you know many of them, but we never know who is in the building or who is listening online who does not know, who may have heard some of the things that I just told you, but don't realize or may not know fully what Jesus had said about Scripture. So I'm going to read to you some passages of what Jesus um, had to say. Now, before I do that, uh, if there was not a hell, as Jesus described it, as the New Testament describes it, and, and as the Old Testament makes reference to, Jesus did not hold back from correcting misinformation, correcting misunderstandings. There are, uh, in fact, Jesus was a hellfire preacher. <laughs> Maybe you've never thought of it that way, but do you know, no one spoke on hell more than Jesus. I mean, there's people made reference to it. John the Baptist, uh, who warned you to f flee from the wrath to come? But Jesus uh, preached on hell more than all the New Testament writers combined. So if Jesus addressed that subject more than all the rest combined, it might be something that we might need to pay attention to. Now, he spoke a lot about heaven, for sure, and, that, and the kingdom of God. That is for sure. But he spoke about hell more than, than, anyone, uh, than anyone else. Now, I said a moment ago, <clears throat> Jesus did not hesitate to correct our understanding about things. For instance, he would say, he said this, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, now, you've heard this many times. If it were not so, I would have told you. Remember that? We use that oftentimes in, in, uh, at funerals. He used this phrase, and you've heard it many times. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Remember that phrase? And what he is doing, he is, he's putting a, a nuance on it, or he's instructing it. He's asked about... Uh, a man who's, uh, uh, who was married, and he died, and, and so his brother married that woman, and he died, and then his brother came and married that woman. And, and the question was, if she's married all five or six or seven brothers, whose wife will she be in the kingdom to come? And Jesus said, you are mistaken. You do not know the scriptures. So he didn't hesitate to, uh, to explain or instruct and to correct. So he would have definitely corrected our understanding about hell uh, if we had a misunderstanding about it, and said it in such a way so that we should understand. So let me give you these passages of Scripture. Now, this might seem a little laborious, 
I'll try not to do that. The subject matter should be enough to capture your attention. The words of it, I'm not going to read you the whole chapters, just verses of it, but I'll give you the reference, so if you want to look at it, you can. In Matthew 5, 22, he says, he says this, Whoever says, you fool, will be guilty enough, will be guilty enough to go into a fiery hell. That's pretty strong language. In Matthew chapter 5, 29 through 39, I'm sorry, 29 through 30, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. In Matthew chapter 20 and 28, do not fear, well, that's the text, do not fear those who can kill the body, but rather fear him. See, there's that word again, fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 42. The angels will throw the unrighteous into a furnace of fire. In that place, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is Jesus talking. This isn't Paul. They're quoting Jesus here. And there's many of them. If it was just one verse in isolation, you could maybe, you know, somehow tweak that one verse. But there are multiple verses. In Matthew 25 and 41, then he will say, to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into an eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 5, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one, here's that word fear again. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's Luke 12, 5. In Luke chapter 16, 23 and 24, now, this is a story that you well know. In hell, he, Lazarus, the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so he may dip his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. In, in Luke chapter 16 and 28, for I have five brothers. Now, this is carrying on the story. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them. Send Lazarus. Give me some water. Then send him back because I have five brothers and warn them in order that they may not come to this place of torment. In John chapter 15, we have these words. John chapter 15 and verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. So, now I want to give you, now that's a lot, and that's not all of them. I just thought, you know, that's enough to make the point. Jesus has some strong words to say about hell. So what I want to give you, I want to give you some characteristics of this place called hell. It is a place, as Jesus has said, is a place not even made for you. You were not in mind when this place was created. It was created for the devil and his angels. You weren't intended to be there. You were intended to be a part of the, the realm of the kingdom of God, the place where God rules, where Jesus rules, where the Spirit of God rules. This, if you go there, you're going to go there because you just wouldn't listen. You wouldn't pay attention. You didn't take it seriously because it wasn't even made for you. But for those who, who are unrepentant, those who are rebellious, those who, uh, who do not regard so great a salvation, they will join in with, with the devil and his angels in that place. In fact, the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, how shall we escape? Not if he didn't say how we shall escape if we don't know about it or if we, if we uh, don't, well, whatever kind of word you might put in there, but how can, if we neglect so great a salvation. As someone said, 
It's not a scripture verse, but it says, the road to hell is paid with good intentions. Well, I intended to do that. I planned on doing that. I, I, I planned on getting right. I planned to quit doing that. It was a good intention, but it is just that. Not only that, so it is a place not even prepared for you. It is a place, a fiery place. Now, I, I, you know, I, can't, I just try to imagine that in my imagination, and there's a certain point where you just have to stop because uh, it's, it's just hard to conceive of. But, but Jesus described it as unquenchable. Have you ever been burnt really badly? And that burn will just burn and burn for a long time. You do what you can to, to mitigate the burn, and you just wait. You're waiting for the moment for the, the burn to diminish. And if it's a serious burn, it takes a long time. And Jesus said, this fire, it is unquenchable, and it doesn't stop burning. And Jesus said, it's the kind of fire that burns but, but does not burn up, where the worm does not die. You remember? And so, so we quibble with that. Like, hmm, if it's real fire, a worm would burn up, or we would burn up. But remember when Moses uh, had an encounter with God on the burning bush, and the, and the bush was not consumed, nevertheless it was on fire? God can do things outside of our way of thinking and doing and understanding things. So if God says this is what it's going to be, then I think you can take him at his word that this is what it's going to be. So uh, not only that, so, so it's a place not prepared for you. It's a place of fire. It's a place of, of, of unquenchable fire. It is, uh, it is a place of, of uh, devoid of light. It's a place devoid of light. It's, in fact, Jesus calls it outer darkness. Uh, that, is, that is really, really hard to conceive. I've heard examples and illustrations of if you went into a tent. In fact, I did that. Uh, a few years ago, we went to West Virginia. You guys ever heard of West Virginia? I went to West Virginia, and uh, I forget the name of the place. It was a location, and uh, it was rig you know, uh, rugged mountains and exposed rocks everywhere. But in that area, there were these caves that went underneath these rocks. And somebody had the brilliant idea at night that we would get on those, those lamps you know, that you wear on your head, and, and we would crawl into these caves. And uh, I, I, that, was, that just didn't sound good to just to describe it. I like why are we going to do that? But I didn't want to be, you know, the, the guy that wasn't going to go. So you know, I mustered up and uh, put on my little light thing in there. And we crawled, you know, it was a small hole to get in. You know, you had to get on your belly and it was at night. And, you know, if you've ever been around caves, they're usually damp. And uh, they have little, little muddy places in them. And so, yeah, it was all of that. And so we go in there and I'm thinking, man, I hope, no, I hope our lights stay on. Because it's already dark outside. And we go in up underneath this mountain into this cave. And I'm thinking about salamanders. What else is in here that we don't know is in here? And, you know, your mind goes, you know, all kind of places. And so we, we did what everybody, well, maybe not what everybody, but many people testified to doing. We all synchronized the turning off of our lights. And uh, how many of you ever done that? I'm telling you what, it is completely disoriented. So we did it. There was probably about 10 of us. Um, the more the merrier in that dark place. So, uh, <laughs> you know. You didn't want two people to get you. Know, you didn't want anybody to get too far away from you because you you turn your lights off. Literally, you could do just like that. You could see nothing. I mean, this is already night, and you do that right in front of your own face. You don't see that right there in front of your own face. I mean, that is dark, and I'm assuming that's as close as we can get to outer darkness. So Jesus said it's a place of de devoid of light. It is a place of weeping and of gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine? the weeping, because there is, a, there is a consciousness there. There is an awareness there. There is a memory there. And the weeping, can you imagine anybody sitting in 
from, from, from America or from a Western country that, that have heard the gospel time and time again. And they didn't respond. They didn't heed. They didn't take it seriously. They neglected him. And, and, and in God's righteous judgment, they, they find themselves in this place. And they know they were not supposed to be there. And they had every opportunity not to be there. And there they are. And, and the weeping. And, then, and it says, and Jesus said, they'll be gnashing their teeth. And that suggests there's anger, their anger, their anger at, uh, maybe they're angry at the pastor who didn't preach on hell. Maybe they're angry at their parents who didn't pray for them enough. Maybe they're angry at God who sent them there. But just anger just spewing out uh, of their mouth and out of their spirit, and it's just cries and weeping. And you can hear it, but you can't see anybody. It's a terrible, terrible place. And it says, the smoke of their torment rises forever and forever. There is, there is an, and John writes in the book of Revelation, it says that in this place, there is no rest. There is no rest from the torment. There is no rest from the crying. There is no rest from the gnashing of teeth. There is no, nest, no rest from the weeping. <clears throat> it's a terrible place. It's a place of condemnation. You know, to those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And when we are, as long as we are on the, on the, on the earth, unrepentant, we live under condemnation and are dead already. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. In hell, there is a continual awareness that you have been condemned. I've never had a serious encounter with a judge. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you have or not, but I've been in the courthouse and seen people have a serious encounter with a judge. And I've seen them break down and cry when the judge says, you're going to spend 30 days in jail because they're going to be absent from their family, they're going to be absent from their favorite food, they're going to lose their job probably, and they, and they just start crying. Here there is no rest, and, and to realize you have been judged and you have been condemned. It is a terrible, terrible uh, feeling, those who testify to it, and the things that I have seen from those who have, 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 have received that instruction. Not only that, it is a place of complete loneliness. I've seen stupid remarks of people who simply, I hope they don't know better. But it's, unsa- it's sad they don't know better because they go, I'm going to hell and I'm going to have a big old party. That's the last thing anybody's going to be having in hell. You're not going to be having a party. You're not going to be with your friends and your buddies drinking and partying and smoking. You're going to be all by yourself, tormented in flames, in complete darkness, in utter darkness with an awareness that you have made that choice and you have been condemned. So not only is it a place of complete loneliness, isolation. I mean, some people had serious problems. Even though they had internet, even though they had their TV, and they had a neighbor that lived 15 yards away or 20 yards away, had serious issues when we were all more quarantined during the COVID experience. Some had really tearful experiences being isolated from friends and families and neighbors, although they had daylight, they had food, they had the internet, they had TV, they weren't shut off. Now, if we have a little bit of a problem with that, imagine what a human being is going to feel completely isolated uh, in that kind of an environment. Complete misery and complete separation. I think that has something to do when Jesus says the worm doesn't die. It's an awareness that these things never shut off. Day or night, there is no rest. I mean, I've had the flu before and and for 48 hours or whatever it is, 24 hours, 48 hours, you open it's 24. And you can't get away from the pain. You just can't get away from it. And it's just for a short term of what that must feel like. But when I say separate, I mean you're separated from everything that's good. See, even the most vile sinner here on the earth 
still experiences the goodness of God. The vilest of sinner on this earth still experiences the goodness of God. The sun shines on everyone. The rain, it rains on everyone. The just and the unjust. They still see flowers. They still see babies' eyes. They still see the good things of life. They still eat steak and potato and, and, uh, and green beans and, and corn on the cob. I mean, they can have all these wonderful things. Not so in hell. It is a miserable place, separated from all good things. Now, this is a very sad thing. I mentioned this a while ago. It's a place of memory and remorse. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It's a very sad thing. He says, because as he was there, and, and, and we were talking with uh, uh, Bill and Melody just the other day, that the, this, is, this is something that, uh, just to make things worse, as if the things we've described are not enough, it says that the rich man lifted up his eyes and he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, being comforted there. And he cried out, I've got five brothers. So you have memory. You have sensation. I, I'm, I'm so thirsty. And you know, I never thought about this. I kind of thought for a long time that, that uh, uh, the unrighteous, the unrepentant did not experience a, a, an actual bodily resurrection, but I was wrong. They literally do experience a bodily resurrection, just like saints experience a bodily resurrection. And so they're going to have a body with physical appetites. There, it says that in the scripture that, that they will be bodily raised and they will stand just like the saints do. And he will separate the sheep and the goats. He will have a, he'll have a body. It'll be, a, it'll be a, a different kind of body that you have now, but it will be a body, kind of like the saints will have a body. And it will be tormented. This is a horrible thing. I mean, we can't even conceive of it. And, and just as though we cannot conceive, Paul tells us, we cannot conceive of what God has in store for those who love him. We cannot conceive because we don't have the, the capacity to, to conceive of, of the, the horrible place and the horrible state of those who, who miss the kingdom of God. We, we, we can't conceive of it. We use words to try to describe it, but we can't quite get there. So apparently the damned can see into the realm to some degree of the place of the righteous, which just adds to the torment. You ever been on a diet? You ever been on a diet and you're trying to be really good and someone brings out a hot fudge sundae or something like that? And you want it so bad, but you, you can't have it. You know, I mean, that's just a, I mean, that isn't even hardly worth mentioning. But, but uh, um, multiply that billions and billions of times. Not only that, it's impossible for one to communicate to the other. The one in hell can look up and see their mother who pled for them, who begged them. They probably have memories of sitting in a church or revival service where the pastor was preaching. An invitation was given and they were almost persuaded, but they didn't yield. A sister who said, just give your heart to God. And they didn't listen. So their appetites are there. Their appetite for water. Their appetite for love. Their appetite for hunger. Their sensation of anger. Their sensation of, of, of resentment. Send Lazarus that he can just tip the finger in the water and just touch my tongue. Eternally separated from God. 
that, my friend, as long as you are breathing, you are not separated from God. And you can be thankful for that. We have no idea what that is like. But to be eternally separated from God, the Bible calls that a second death. The reason it says a second death because when you were born, you were born dead in trespasses, trespasses and sin. You were already dead. And someone framed it like this. If you are born twice, you will only die once. But if you are only born once, you will die twice. You will die a physical death and you will die a spiritual death. Separated from God eternally. I'm almost done. Now here's the last point. Close to the last point. But I am near the end. Now this is a horrible, horrible thought. All of it's horrible. But listen to this. These are mere words that try to describe something that we cannot do. It is a place where the wrath of God is undiluted. Think about that. It is a place where the wrath of God is not diluted with grace and love and kindness and those kinds of things that we so readily experience. Listen to this. This comes out of Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10. The same shall drink. He's talking about the, the damned and the false prophet and the, all the lost. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath. And one translation says the fury of God. The same shall drink of that glass, which is poured out, and this one says, without mixture into the cup of into his cup of indignation. And that one shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. A, a, a judgment that is not mixed with grace and kindness and love that we so readily experience here and now. The thing about it is, Jesus said, the scriptures say it over and over again, it is eternal, that it's a final judgment, and at whatever cost, you do not want to go there. Whatever it costs you, anything that you lay aside, anything that you give up, anything that you, any sacrifice that you could possibly make in this present age to gain eternal life in the kingdom of God will be well worth it. So someone would say, well, preacher, are you, are you trying to scare me? Listen, based on what the scripture says, if that would work, I would absolutely do my best to scare you to death. As one preacher said, I would do my best to scare hell out of you if that were possible. But you know what? I heard hell preached when I was young, and that, that didn't capture me. I mean, it bothered me. I thought about it, and I prayed to God that Jesus would not come when I was unrepentant, and I would say that prayer, Jesus, don't come tonight because I'm not ready. You ever pray that prayer? Don't come tonight. I'm, I'm not ready. I, I want to get ready. I had a good intention. Thanks be to God. I, I, I got in before the door was shut. But God will do everything he can do, and he has done what he can do to rescue you. 
He has already extended his hand. He has already extended his grace. He's already extended his love. He has already paid the sacrifice. He's already paid any price that was necessary for you that you might be rescued. But here's the deal. Uh, you could hear about this, and, and, uh, and you may have an emotional response to it, but, I, but I'm in, inclined to believe it might not be lasting. But I tell you what will be lasting. When you come to understand in a way that is overwhelming, if you will just listen to the voice of the Spirit and just to know what Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. The fact, to know the fact that I was once on my way to hell, but God stepped in and intervened and paid my price for me so I don't have to go there. I love him. The scripture says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So today, as the scripture says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. This is the time. Today is the day of salvation. This is the time to take it seriously. So I pray, I pray that you will do just that. If you will, would you bow your head with me? I would not be a bit surprised if any, every single person who's ever, who hears these words that I'm speaking, whether in here or wherever it may end up in time, through cyberspace, will probably already have a awareness, a knowledge that there is a place called hell, and they don't want to go there. But you have to make preparation. You have to make the decision. So you're already on a trajectory going toward hell. If you are not repentant, if you have not repented of your sin, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've not accepted what God has done for you in Christ, you're already on your way there. You've heard the story of a guy was going down the road and it was in the dusk of the evening and rain had started and he got a glimpse of a light flashing up ahead. And as he got a little closer, he saw it was a man standing in the middle of the road with his light flashing and waving, trying to stop him. And he had an awareness, he had enough sense, and he had enough judgment to slow down, and he came to a stop. And what he did not know, but what the person trying to warn him was, the bridge is out. If you kept going, you're going to go right off the edge into the water below well, that's what this moment is. It's someone standing in the middle of the road, waving their arms, flashing the light, saying, make a different decision. Make a different choice. Choose Jesus. Choose life. Choose eternal life in the kingdom of God. Do not go to hell. Do not go to hell. Because you were too prideful, too stubborn, or whatever the case may be. Today is the day of salvation. If you're in the building here this morning, I just want to invite you to come and kneel if you want to. The scripture talk about make your calling and election sure. If you're listening and you're sitting at home in your chair, have no idea who you might be bow your head right there. Repent. 
Jesus to forgive you of your sin. Come into your heart and life. Make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Be born again. Be born a second time. So you may die physically, but you will live forever in the kingdom of God. Lord, hear our prayer. Let these words which seem so feeble speak to the heart of a man or a woman or a teenager. And though they seem so weak coming out of my mouth, they are the living word of God that will penetrate to the joint and marrow of the human heart and be redemptive and bring about salvation because of your great love, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You understand? The Lord be with you. May his grace be so powerfully active in your life you'll be a light shining in a dark world. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.